Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings, everyone. A warm welcome to all of us here at Center Street Church, those of us meeting here at Central Campus, as well as those watching from one of our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to say hello to our online viewers as well. It was roughly around this time, in the year 2001, I started investigating the claims of the Christian faith. As many of you know, I was uh, raised in a Hindu family, and I had never seen a Bible or never been to a church until that time. The gods of Hinduism are far from friendly. Most Hindus worship idols, statues and figures of gods and goddesses created by human imagination. The idols are crafted with the assumption that the gods are more stronger than us. So Hindu gods have multiple heads and arms to show that they are powerful. Many of them are portrayed carrying weapons. Some are hot-tempered. And when you bring weapons and a hot-tempered God together, it is a bad combination. You better behave or the gods will straighten you out. One thing you know, the gods are not your friends. Now, I've been an avid student of world religions, and I know there aren't any other religions that I'm aware of where you can relate with God as a friend. Allah, the God of Islam, is a distant, remote being who reveals his will, but not himself. He commands total submission. There is no emphasis on a personal relationship with God in Islam. And you will be forever slaves of Allah, even in heaven. The pantheistic worldview, from where comes the New Age movement, pictures God as a spiritual force with no personal attributes. Even though Star Wars has made the phrase, the force be with you, popular, you cannot be friends with the spiritual force. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, none of them related with their followers as a friend. Today I want to talk to us about a distinct Christian privilege, an exclusive relationship that Jesus initiates with his followers. He calls us his friends. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we read our text from John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Lord, we thank you for the powerful time of worship to lift up the name of Jesus on high. And now we pray, Lord, as we quieten our hearts to listen to you, that you will speak to us in a fresh new way, that you will personalize this message in our heart, 
and that you will uh, cause these words uh, to become personal to every one of us here, that we will hear the distinct voice of your Spirit. So we commit this time to the leading of your Spirit. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The great ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle claimed that friendship arises out of equality. So he proposed that there could be no meaningful friendship between a god and a man any more than a man could be a friend to his tools because they are so dissimilar in nature. This may seem logical, but it's not biblical. For the whole purpose of the incarnation, God taking on human flesh was to remove the hostility between God and human beings and turn enemies into friends. The image of friendship with God evokes ideas of relationship, intimacy, and trust. And that is the heart of the Christian faith. The Gospel of John begins with these uh, stirring words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. John opens his gospel by giving us a picture of the identity of Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. He is 100% divine. Jesus is the creator of the entire universe. He spoke the vast expanse of our galaxy and every single galaxy into existence. He's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is almighty and he's all-powerful. Jesus performed unbelievable miracles. He walked on water, he calmed the storm, he opened blind eyes, and he raised the dead. Jesus is Lord, Master, Savior, King. All of these are impressive titles that are fitting only to Jesus. Angels in heaven worship Jesus 24 by 7, and one day it is before Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. So John gives us the identity of who Jesus is. But Jesus also has another side. He's fully God and he's fully human. When Jesus was on earth, he was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He demonstrated human emotions. Jesus not only had a human body, but a human heart, a human mind, and a human will. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Aristotle's dilemma makes total sense if we have a God who doesn't understand what it means to be a human. Such God can't be a true friend of ours. But Jesus, who is God as well as human, relates with us at a personal level. Now, some people, people of other religions, wonder... When Jesus calls us friends, does it not diminish him? Does it not reduce his status? The answer is no. When Jesus calls us friends, it does not diminish him in any, any way. It elevates us. 
Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And he is trying to prepare them for what is to come. His death and resurrection and the ministry that awaited the disciples. And in this long farewell discourse recorded by John that covers four chapters, Jesus gives his disciples an upgrade, like the newer version of an iPhone with better features. They're no longer his slaves, but they are his friends. See, the word friend is tossed around freely these days. But Jesus is not talking about a casual friendship that we are so familiar with in our culture. The last time I checked my Facebook account, I noticed I have 1,120 friends. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> you know, I'm eyeing for the world record for most friends on Facebook. So could you please send me some friend requests? <laughs> See, the number of friends we have on Facebook may be a feel-good factor, but it means nothing in practical terms. But the problem is, I don't even know some of my friends on Facebook. <laughs> there are others whom I have never met personally, or they are casual acquaintances. And if I'm in need of desperate help, I can't knock on their doors at 2 in the morning. Our friendships today are fickle. But thankfully, that's not the friendship Jesus is referring to here. The word used for friend in our text in John 15 is the same word used by John the Baptist earlier in reference to Jesus. You'll find this in John chapter 3, verse 29. The words of John the Baptist, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. John the Baptist is using the word friend to refer to himself in his relationship with Jesus as the best man in the wedding. So when you choose the best man for your wedding, you choose the person whom you're really, really close to. Jesus is referring to that kind of friendship here. Do you see how radical this is to relate to God in this manner? Such kind of a privilege was almost unthinkable in the Old Covenant. Only one person in the entire Old Testament is explicitly called a friend of God. Abraham, the father of our faith. Abraham was a friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 23 tells us, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Moses could also be possibly called a friend of God by implication. Exodus chapter 33, the first part of verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Even though the text does not say this explicitly, it is reasonable to draw the conclusion that Moses also was God's friend. Just two people among all the saints of the Old Testament were referred in these terms in their relationship with God. 
Now, what is extraordinary is this. Jesus takes this special privilege, this elite invitation reserved for the choicest saints of the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses, and he makes it available to every one of his followers. Even in the first century context, disciples did not relate with their rabbi as friends. It was a formal relationship and very hierarchical. Rabbis don't talk to their disciples as buddies. Jesus brought a radically new concept in terms of relating with God. I think it is right to say friendship is the highest relationship possible between God and a human being. This is, in fact, true of human relationships, too. Apply this to marriage. Researchers say the single greatest factor determining the quality of your marriage is the quality of your friendship with your spouse. It's true of parenting. When our kids are little, we have to manage them a lot. But there will come a stage when they grow up and become adults and how do we relate with our kids as friends? And I tell you, I can't wait for that stage. <laughs> Jesus is speaking of relating with God, not just as a distant, transcendent, remote being who's way up there. He's not someone whom you have to maintain an, a distance. But this is a personal friend who journeys through life. Sadly, for so many people, including many Christians, Jesus is still far off and remote. They visualize him in stained glass windows or as a God who is apart, miles and miles away. But they can't picture Jesus as a personal friend who is an integral part of their day-to-day -day life, who shares in their joys and struggles, laughter and tears and the ups and downs of life. Let me clarify something here. It is true that Jesus is our Lord and Master, God and King, and we are His slaves. That metaphor is used in the Scripture, and I don't think that relationship has changed. There are numerous verses in the New Testament that still identify us as slaves of Jesus. But it is only one aspect or dimension of our relationship with God. It is not the only dimension. The truth is we are not just slaves. The Bible invites us to experience yet another significant dimension in our relationship with God. For this great Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, looks at us today and he says, we are not just his servants, we are also his friends. I want to share with you four aspects of this friendship that Jesus extends to us as seen in the passage that we read in John 15. First of all, this friendship originates from sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The ultimate expression of love is your willingness to give your life for someone. Now ask yourself this question, 
Who are you willing to die for? Or who is willing to die for you? If you're willing to die for a person, that person is very near and dear to you. And if you know someone is willing to give their life for you, you will trust them with no reservations because they have your best interest at heart. Jesus establishes this friendship with us through his act of sacrifice on our behalf. For God and humanity were not always friends, far from it. We were hostile enemies of God. We rebelled against his will, went in our own way, made self-centered choices, and we were headed towards a path of self-destruction in bondage to the enemy. And who takes the initiative to reverse this situation and bridge this gigantic chasm? It's not us. It's God who takes the initiative. And that's what makes the Christian faith so unique. This friendship with God is a privilege that we enjoy today, but it is only possible because of Jesus' atoning death. James Bryant Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, recounts the story of Christian author and speaker Brennan Manning and how he got the name Brennan, for his original name was Richard. While growing up, Richard's best friend was Ray Brennan. The two of them did everything together bought a car together as teenagers, double dated together, went to school together. They even enlisted in the army together and fought on the front lines together in the Korean War. One night, while sitting in a foxhole, Richard was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray Brennan listened and ate a chocolate bar. And suddenly at that moment, a live grenade came into the foxhole. Ray looked at Richard, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray Brennan instantly, but Richard's life was spared. After some time, when Richard became a Catholic priest, he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. He thought of his friend Ray Brennan, and that's how he took on the name Brennan. Years went by, and once he went to visit his friend Ray's mother in Brooklyn, And they sat up late one night having this extended conversation over a cup of tea. And finally, Brennan Manning asked her this question. Do you think Ray loved me? There was a pause after that question was asked. Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch and the lady shook her finger in front of his face and shouted, what more could he have done for you? Brennan Manning said at that moment he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus wondering, does God really love me? And Jesus' mother Mary pointing to her son saying, what more could he have done for you? That question, does God really love me? Am I important to God? Does God care about my life? We're once and for all settled on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
But if you want to know how much God loves you, all you need to do is to take a fresh look at the cross. That is the extent of God's amazing personal love for each one of us. The English word friend, interestingly, comes from the same root word as freedom. True friendship is a freeing relationship. And the friendship Jesus offers us frees us from sin and bondage, but it cost him his life. So while we have this distinct privilege of friendship with God, it originates from his sacrifice. There's yet another unique aspect of this friendship. When you're a friend of Jesus, you do what he commands you to do. The friendship is built on obedience. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Anyone knows that's not a good way to make friends. You will not find this principle in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> if you say to someone, you'll be my friend if you do everything I command you, who would ever want to be your friend? You know, while we use this language of friendship in our relationship with Jesus, you need to know that it does not negate the need for obedience. In fact, it's our obedience that characterizes this friendship. But it brings us still to the question, if Jesus is our friend, why can't we be just buddy-buddy? Why does he still command obedience? That's because Jesus wants the best for us. Look at what Jesus said earlier, John 15, verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The reason your friend Jesus tells you to obey is because He wants the best for you. The pathway to joy comes through obedience. One of the most successful ad campaigns against drunk driving had a simple message. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. The message was intended not for the drunk driver, but it was intended for his or her sober friend. It appealed to the power of friendship. If you care about your friend, you're not going to let them hurt themselves. When Jesus tells us we are his friends if we do what he commands us, he tells this not to spoil our fun, not to stifle us, but it's in keeping our best interest in mind. That is the essence of friendship. He cares about you and he wants to protect you from hurting yourself. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome. It results in freedom life and joy, and it keeps us from self-harm. Thirdly, this friendship is nurtured through communication. We come to the key verse of our passage, verse 15. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There's a big difference between why a servant or a slave does something for you and why a friend does something for you. A servant or a slave has no idea of why they are doing what they are doing. They do it as an obligation. They do it because it's required of them. It's a command. They don't have a choice. But friends have a different motivation when they render you a helping hand. Now, if a person does your laundry, cleans your house, washes your car, but never has coffee with you, never wants to go for a walk with you, never shares his or her heart with you, would you consider them your friend? No. Because friendship involves communication. Jesus says here, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. That's what makes friendship special. Friends confide in each other. They share their heart. When you go to a coffee shop and talk to a friend for hours, it feels like a minute. But when you talk to your boss for a minute, it feels like hours. Why is that? It's because you don't tell your boss your parenting struggles, your marriage problems, or your disappointments. Your boss is not the person in whom you confide. It's a professional relationship. But a friend has the time to listen to you. Psalm 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for secret is the same word for friend. The phrase secret of the Lord could also be translated friendship of the Lord. A friend is someone you let into the secret places of your heart. And what Jesus is saying here is so profound. I want you to get this. Look at verse 15 again. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Let me ask you a question. According to this verse, who is confiding in who? Jesus is not saying here, I am a good friend in whom you can confide. He's saying here, you are the friend in whom I want to confide. We all love that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. But the emphasis of our text is, what a friend Jesus has in me. Now, have you reached that point in your relationship with Jesus, where Jesus shares his secrets with you? Have you reached that point in your friendship, and Jesus confides in you? I was once driving past uh, James Fowler High School, which is just a few blocks away from our church. And I looked at the young people who were standing by the roadside, smoking, goofing around. It's hard to express this experience in words. As I fixed my eyes on their faces, all of a sudden I felt a deep burden 
for these kids. I don't know who they were, but in that moment, I sensed these kids are the future of Canada. And they are lost and aimless, wasting their lives on frivolous things. And yet, the baton of the gospel needs to somehow be passed on to this generation so they can also run the race. And just for a moment, just for a moment, I felt in my heart a wave of God's profound, unconditional love for these lost kids. And what was going on that moment? I was sitting in my car, and it was almost like God opened a little window and helped me to see His heart. And Jesus was confiding His feelings to me. Because that's what friends do. They communicate, they share their heart mutually. It's sacred moments like these in your relationship with Jesus that makes a distant God come closer. He's not a God who's far away. He's so deeply involved, even in the minute details of our life. Lastly, this friendship inspires confidence. Jesus was about to leave his disciples. And his reminder to his disciples in this farewell discourse, before he left them, was you have friends in high places. It was meant to inspire confidence. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I have chosen you. This has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with me and my purposes. I have appointed you as my friend. Jesus is also telling his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you because you have an influential friend in me. And the disciples desperately needed to hear this. For soon, the one in whom they had put their faith was going to be beaten mercilessly, stripped of his clothes and nailed to a cross, and he will die the worst form of death. For soon, the world will hate them and persecute them and scorn them and despise them. For soon, the devil will do everything in his power to destroy them. He will viciously seek to attack them and harm them. For soon, they will face oppositions from the government, roadblock from the religious leaders, and all hell will break loose. And when they are faced with these challenges and wonder how in the world are we going to sustain against these opposing forces, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that they had a friend in high places. Maybe you're here today and you are in a similar position. The tide has turned against you. You've lost your job. You're losing your health. Your marriage is in crisis, and all hell seems to break loose in your life. But Jesus wants you to know, in spite of all of that, you still have a friend in high places. 
For the Lord Almighty, the God of glory, the God of all resources, has called you his personal friend. Do you get that? He has extended to you the greatest privilege. He has chosen you. He has set you apart. You have a special connection in heaven. You have not been forgotten. Here's another thought that inspires confidence. If you are just a slave, then you exist only to serve. Your value is tied to your ability to perform. You are good as long as you show results. The moment your productivity stops, you become expendable. But if you're a treasured friend, your value and worth has nothing to do with your performance or your productivity. You are loved just as you are. John Milton, one of the greatest poets of the English language, next only to Shakespeare, wrote an autobiographical sonnet called On His Blindness. Milton was an extremely gifted man. But things came to a sudden standstill when he started losing his eyesight. And at age 44, John Milton became completely blind. This setback caused Milton to wonder of what use his life can be to God's kingdom. So he raises this pertinent question in this sonnet as he wends out his frustrations. But in the second part of the sonnet, Milton offers a profound answer. His ability to serve or perform doesn't matter so much to God. His worth is not measured by productivity. The king of kings, he has vast resources at his disposal, and he wasn't dependent on Milton's talents to run his kingdom. And Milton was captivated by this truth that despite his blindness, God still had a place for him. He closes the poem with those famous words, they also serve who only stand and wait. Whether we go on to write one of the greatest poems of all time, or if our service to Jesus is hidden and unnoticed until Jesus returns, we are treasured and valued and accepted just as we are. Because we are no longer just slaves. We are his friends. We are his children redeemed by his blood. We are part of God's own family. I want you to hear me here. God did not save you so you can do tasks for him. He saved you to bring you to himself. He didn't save you because he needed a helping hand. He saved you because you have a place in his heart. And he didn't redeem you because he wanted a slave. He redeemed you because he wanted a friend. It's not about what you can do for Jesus. It's about what he can do for you. It's fitting to end our service by partaking in the Lord's Supper. By reminding ourselves once again this act of sacrifice that has made it possible 
for you and me to be called friends of God. You find these powerful words in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Bishop Desmond Tutu considered this passage to be his favorite Bible verse. For he says it sums up the gospel so wonderfully. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. We think somehow we have to impress God with our godliness. But he says, you are loved already, even at your worst. Jesus loved you when you were so unlovable. He died for you when you were still a sinner. So whenever you are uncertain about this friendship with Jesus, reflect on this. God loved you even before you turned to him. Picture Mary pointing her finger at her son, his bloody and bruised body. What more could he have done for you? You don't receive this love based on your performance. It's not something you earn by being godly. For you did not love him first. He first loved you. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, it is with hearts filled with the profound awareness of your presence your love and your grace that we come to you today to say thank you thank you for the cross thank you for the price that you paid thank you for the reminder that you are not a God who is far away and distant but you are a God who has come near you have come close and you are involved in every detail of our life God, we are so grateful that we have a faithful friend in you. One who walks with us every step of the way. The one who never leaves us or forsakes us. For you are a friend, Jesus, who sticks closer than a brother. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Now help us to foster this friendship. To develop this intimacy with you. Give us times of communion and fellowship where you confide in us and we confide in you. God, we are so blessed to be your children, to be part of your family. We love you. I pray for especially people who are hurting today. God, would you touch them in a fresh new way and open their eyes once again to see the extent of your love for them. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. 
For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 